he looked pretty, he looked harmless, he looked like a hairdresser crossed with a bank teller. In fact, he was an extremely highly paid male escort. One of the things he also said was that he was a 200-year-old vampire, so clearly he did have some delusions. I'm Andrew Rule. this is Life and Crimes. Today we're going to talk about the strange life and death of Shane Chartres Abbott, the so-called vampire rapist. On June the 4th, 2003, two gunmen ambushed this well-dressed young man outside a reservoir house as he left home on his way to go to court. He, of course, had been charged with a savage sexual assault on a young sex worker, a Thai woman, who he had beaten and bloodied. He had even bitten a piece out of her tongue. And it was that attack a long time earlier which had precipitated his murder. And so to explain how this all got started, let's go back to look at where it all began. It all begins with a young man called Mark Adrian Perry. Now, Mark Perry was from the outer northern suburbs of Melbourne. He had grown up in the research area of the northern suburbs up near Eltham. He had become a butcher by trade, and later he had become a bouncer. Now, not every bouncer is a drug dealer, or not every bouncer works for a drug dealer, but that's the way to bet. Mark Perry was arrested in 1998, selling ecstasy at the trendy Fitzroy pub where he was working. He learnt a lot from being arrested, because he learnt what it was he shouldn't do. He learned how to avoid attracting the attention of the police. And after that arrest, he was never arrested again on drug charges. He had learned his lesson. But he did go back to the drug trade where he was something of a lone wolf. He would travel on false documents, usually by himself, often to Asia and Europe and here and there. And he would bring back or arrange to smuggle in drug supplies which he would then sell to a select clientele. He often sold his drugs to people in the gay community and he had loyal customers who paid promptly and didn't give any trouble and didn't holler for the police. And so Mark Perry went along very quietly, making quite a lot of money. Mark Perry was very fond of Thai, not so much the lemongrass soup as female company. He dated many Thai women, and in fact, he had a child with one of them, but he kept company with several others. And in the year 2000 and thereabouts, he had a semi-stable relationship with one woman who dabbled before and after that relationship in sex work. Even after they broke up, after 18 months together, they remained friends. Mark Perry seemed to have the gift of making and keeping friends and he was very fond of this young woman. So when it is that she is most horribly sexually assaulted and beaten in the Savile Hotel in South Yarra in August 2002 and she's left with big bruises and savage bite marks including the bit that is bitten from her tongue 
Mark Perry is very upset. Mark Perry blames himself because he said to himself and he said to her when he visited her in hospital, if I'd still been around, this wouldn't have happened. And so Mark dwelt on this and it festered in his mind and eventually he decided that what he wanted was to punish the person that did it. And he decided that he would employ a hitman to do it. He really wants payback. He wants revenge. He stays guilty and angry for weeks and months. And so he looks around for a hitman. He doesn't have any luck initially, although he's on the fringes of the underworld. He's really a bit of a lone wolf. He doesn't run around with heavy crooks, which is probably why he stayed out of trouble thus far. He was sort of a wide awake, outer suburban boy who knew his way around and stayed out of trouble. But what it meant was that when he went looking for a hitman, probably the real crooks were a little bit wary of him because it might appear to them that he's a plant and set up by the police. But in fact, he was extremely genuine. The man who committed the assault on the young Thai woman was, of course, Shane Chartres Abbott. He was a baby-faced offender. He looked pretty. He looked harmless. He looked like a hairdresser crossed with a bank teller. In fact, he was an extremely highly paid male escort. He charged something like $2,000 a night back 20 years ago, quite a lot of money, or several hundred dollars an hour. But although he's a successful male escort, he's not a terribly successful offender in other ways because on the night that he so savagely assaulted the Thai girl, the police caught him with her blood on his pants and her telephone in his bag. So he's not a terribly wise offender. He tells the police a wild cock and bull story about fighting his way out of a trap. He said that it was a honey trap that the Thai woman had been employed by vice bosses to lure him into the hotel and into the room so that they could abduct him and film him in a snuff movie. And, of course, that would eventually mean that they would kill him for the camera in a snuff movie. Now, this was a fairly wild and far-out scenario which the police did not believe, and probably they were right not to believe it. Because one of the things he also said was that he was a 200-year-old vampire. So clearly he did have some delusions. It may be that given he could earn $2,000 a night, he probably used drugs and they didn't help his delusions. So the police arrest and charge Shane Chartres Abbott. Meanwhile, Mark Perry is still shopping for a hitman. He still can't get one. So he goes back to his roots up in Research, up near Eltham, and there he finds an old drinking buddy that he knew as a teenager. Now, this guy is at that stage called Warren Chevella. His first name doesn't change. His surname later does change. Warren Chevella, being an old buddy of Perry, introduces him to an old-time knockabout crook who is a robber, 
who is a killer, who is a guy that spent a lot of time in high security uh, jails uh, at Pentridge, and in fact is a member of an extremely well-known criminal family that goes back at least three generations. We won't name him here because he's given evidence against other crooks in so many cases that he will live forever as a protected witness. So we can't name him, but we can call him Jack Price, which is nothing like his real name. Warren Chevella introduces Perry to Jack Price. Jack Price agrees to knock, as he calls it, Chartres Abbott. And in fact, I think Jack Price recruits someone to help him. He needs, you know, someone to drive him, whatever. There's one problem for these guys. They're not sure where Chartres Abbott lives. And I think after turning up to the wrong house or something, it becomes clear they've got the wrong information and they need to know where to go. The crooks can't find the right address. Meanwhile, Chartres Abbott is extremely nervous and realises that he could be a target of revenge and his lawyer applies for his actual address to be struck from the record when he appears in court because he's having to go to court to face the charges of the assault and the rape. A troubled young woman. Her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. The old hitman claims that he reached out to two drinking buddies of his, one former policeman, one serving policeman, to ask them if they could get Chartres Abbott's correct address. Now, we could name those two here, but we won't because there is some doubt about who's telling the truth here. Those two, the former policeman and the serving policeman, have always denied helping in any way obtain the correct address for Shane Chartres Abbott. But somehow or other, the hitman was able to get Chartres Abbott's correct address. We just don't know how. And using that information, the killers were then able to go to the reservoir house where, in fact, Chartres Abbott was living with his extremely pregnant girlfriend, just to complicate things. And apart from being a 200-year-old vampire, a rapist and someone who bites other people's tongues, he's also a loving partner and soon-to-be father. And it is there as he leaves the house with his pregnant girlfriend and her father, that they are attacked by the two gunmen. One gunman pushes the pregnant woman and her elderly father out of the way, and the other one shoots Chartres Abbott at very close range, and at least one shot goes right through his neck, which may or may not be a message. It might be just dumb luck that that's where the bullet went. Some interpreted it as a message this is what happens to vampires. They uh, get bitten in the neck. Chartres Abbott dies. The gunmen bolt and escape. And it becomes 
just one of those mysteries. It's a pretty good news story for a day or two or three, but in the absence of any clues or any obvious motivation, whatever, no one knows how to solve it, and so it goes unsolved. And it might have stayed that way for a long time, possibly because the police, although every murder matters and every murder has to be investigated, it may be that it wasn't such a high priority compared with some others because some would think that Chartres Abbott had it coming. But events conspired against Mark Perry and against the man that he had employed to do the hit because what happens next is this. Our old hitman, robber, killer, bad guy, he can't lie straight in bed. He keeps getting into trouble. He's been in jail half his life. He does bad things all the time. Inevitably, he falls into the police hands because what he has become is a freelance hitman employed by various people during the gangland war. He is arrested, suspected of various shootings, and he's a cunning old reptile. He's good at cutting deals. He's willing to um, talk out of school. And he cuts a deal with the detectives who arrest him to give evidence against fellow suspects in exchange for reduced jail time. He's very willing to rat out almost anybody. And he realises that he holds some very valuable information. He realises that the allegation that he was able to get a policeman to look up the Chartres Abbott address is something that the Chief Commissioner and senior officers will be very keen to nail down because the one thing they want to do is to make the force look squeaky clean and to arrest any bent cops and any police who leak and any police who have anything to do with the underworld. And so Jack Price, hitman, becomes Jack Price, king rat, and he dobs in the policeman and the former policeman and in return for that, he gets a good deal. But of course, in dobbing in the policeman and the ex-policeman, Jack Price has to dob in Mark Perry, which he does extremely promptly. He says he was approached by Mark Perry to kill Chartres Abbott. And so the police got, for the price of one, they got two results because they were able to solve the Chartres Abbott murder because Jack Price put his hands up for it, knowing that he's already in big trouble on other matters, so he probably won't get anything extra for Chartres Abbott, which is pretty well how it works out. So Perry realises that probably Jack Price has already said enough to get him into trouble and that his name will eventually find its way into the police notebooks, and so Perry knows it's time to vanish, which he does. And because Mark Perry has been an accomplished smuggler of drugs, and because he's been good at getting false passports and passports in other people's names, you know, genuine passports, but in other people's names, he knows how to escape without trace. He knows how to move around without using his own name, and he does so away he goes. He's quite wealthy, but he has no assets in his own name. All the police know about him is that he's a pretty fit sort of guy, a bit of a gym junkie. They know that he used to sell drugs often in the gay community 
and they know that if they can get hold of him, that there's enough evidence supplied by Jack Price and his co-offender, a guy we'll call the boxer because he's an ex-fighter, nicknamed Goose. The police find the gun at the Geelong beach where Jack Price obligingly tells them he threw the gun, which proves that he did the murder because there's the gun, there's the, the right ballistics, and it proves that at least one of the two of them did the murder. He's dobbed in the policeman and the ex-policeman. He says that one of them got the address of Chartres Abbott. So the police have got the whole case wrapped up in a parcel with a bow around it and they're very happy. Another thing that Jack Price alleged to the police who are running an operation called Operation Briars, explains to them that the serving policeman, his um, one-time drinking buddy, had allegedly given him a false alibi and he explains how that was done. He says that on the day that they shot Chartres Abbott, they shot him at around, I think, nine in the morning or something when he was leaving to go to court. On that same day, six hours later, at three o'clock in the afternoon, when his drinking buddy, the serving cop, began his shift at Paran Police Station, our old mate Jack Price, he claimed he went to the police station and uh, he's got a few warrants against him for traffic matters. And he goes in there to answer these warrants for the traffic matters, which is a very convenient thing. The old hitman said this very experienced sergeant fills in the correct forms to say this traffic offender has turned up and um, presented himself to the sergeant at the desk and so on. And he fills in the form with the name and the date and all the details and the cars and all the rest of it. But he does not fill in the time. He doesn't fill in the time on the sheet so that if later on Jack Price needs an alibi, he can pull out this document and wave it around and say, well, it couldn't have been me. I was at Pran Police Station because it hasn't got the time of 3pm on it. And so because it's left blank, it's probably able to be used or he could even write in 9am or something like that. And if that wasn't checked very carefully against police rosters, he would probably be able to get away with it. And so he was able to allege to Operation Briars how they set up a relatively sophisticated alibi using serving police and official legal documents, which uh, must have been of some interest to... Uh, the investigators. Of course, the policeman has always denied this and no charges were ever laid. So Jack Price goes to jail. He's co-accused. Goose is in jail. They've got other charges and other problems because they've been doing a few jobs. Meanwhile, Mark Perry is still on the run. Mark Perry stays in smoke. He stays on the run until 2013. So the summons is given to his friend Chevella back in 2007, and it's not for another six years that he is arrested finally in Perth, where he's living a quiet life, I think working as a, some sort of tradesman. He wasn't only a butcher, he could do other work, tiling or whatever. He was a pretty handy fellow. But somehow or other, he slipped up, you know, the phone call 
to someone he knew or whatever, that sort of stuff. Usually people come undone because they make the mistake of getting in touch with someone they once knew and the police are listening or the someone they once knew is in touch with the police for some reason and lets it slip. And so word got back to the police and they arrested Mark Perry at long last in Perth and he is arrested at the same time as his friend Warren Chevella, who by this stage has changed his name to Warren Shea. He's gone from the Italian name to the Irish name by merely cutting a bit off the end, which was pretty tricky. They stand trial in 2014, I think. Mark Perry has made various admissions over the years to girlfriends, lovers and others. The strange thing is that one of the women who gave evidence, which probably could have been used against him, was the very Thai woman whose injury he'd been trying to avenge. The Thai woman assaulted by Shane Chartres Abbott was one of several women who gave evidence in the case effectively against Mark Perry and his co-accused Warren Chevella. It turned out that Perry had once told that woman that he'd done the shooting himself, which wasn't actually right. He'd also told his ex-wife, the Thai woman who was the mother of his child, that he had arranged other people to do the shooting. And so he'd told different versions of the story to at least three women and possibly more because he'd told it also to a woman in Perth. And so this very quiet and effective criminal who'd flown under the radar all these years had made the mistake that most people make in the end of talking too much to people that he thought he could trust. But in the end, he found out that a secret's not a secret once two people know it. However, he and the the other accused, the ex-boxer, Goose, and Warren Shea were all acquitted of this particular murder in 2014. And so the jury may not have had a lot of sympathy for the victim in this case, which can help, and the jury decided to acquit Perry, Shea, and the man we call Goose. And so that's the end of the story of Shane Chartres Abbott, self-styled vampire, male escort, gigolo, all-round good-time Charlie who would entertain men, women or anyone else if the money was right. And so finally, of the seven people who could have faced charges over the death of Chartres Abbott, two were jailed on other charges, three were acquitted, and as for our two colourful policemen, the serving policeman is no longer serving, he left long ago, and he and his good friend rode off into the sunset. Thanks for listening. Please comment or rate it on whatever platform you're using, and if you haven't done it already, please subscribe. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. 
The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.